0: hello and welcome to funny business the best podcast on the internet i'm robbie hicks
1: and i'm lockie bradford and on today's episode we have got christopher had naggy he is the ceo and founder at social slash engineer which is a topic we love and we've uh, to be honest i've been googling this shit for a little bit now and his name keeps popping up all over youtube all over google and he's the godfather so stoked to have him on and pick his brain and this is a fucking an episode
0: he also runs the innocent lies foundation uh which is a not-for-profit uh, uh, organization dedicated to finding the true identities of anonymous child predators using open source intelligence so honestly this is one of those things talking about like social engineering i feel like this is a topic that you've been super interested in for a while now and when we found out we actually we, we locked chris in to come on the pod i don't reckon that uh i've ever seen you so excited Uh,
1: honestly it's a rip and chat we get into lots of stuff to be honest we honestly uh we get into the innocent lives uh foundation and we also touch on like real life examples of like body language and how to like influence people and not only for the bad stuff but for the good stuff you know so i feel like you're gonna love it to be honest one of my favorite episodes top shelf you know so enjoy
0: chris thank you so much for jumping on the funny business podcast for those at home listening tell us who are you and what do you do
2: I'm Chris Hadnagy. I'm the CEO of Social Engineer LLC and of the Innocent, Innocent Lies Foundation. So I run two companies: one's a nonprofit, one's a company. Uh, my corporate day job is I get paid to uh, hack people, so break in the break. I actually physically break in the buildings. I send phishing emails. I do phishing calls. Um, all sorts of weird stuff like that. And then on my side job with the nonprofit is we help uh, law enforcement geolocate people who traffic children.
1: I'm so excited to have you on, brother, because for me, social engineering and that topic, I feel like not many people like talking about it, especially in sort of my sort of circles. And I've been fascinated because I've just been like with the podcast and what we're growing with our business and stuff. And it's like the impact and and going deep mm-hmm. on onto that. And I just Googled the word and your name come up. And then I went down the rabbit hole <laughs> on YouTube and found a bunch of pods that you do and that you're on and like human hacking. You got that book behind you there. Um I don't know, just fascinated by the subject and topic. So I would love to dive into like why you got into it in the first place.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. So I, uh, if we go way back in, in the day, my job, I wasn't uh, working at a company where we wrote exploits, like software exploits, and we did network hacking. Um, and I really suck at it. Uh, I'm really not great at coding. I just, I'm, I, you know, my brain doesn't work that way. So we would get this test for a company And I would be like, hey, can I just send an email or can I call a guy and just ask him for his password and see if he gives it to me? And they'd be like, yeah, okay, if you want to try. But, you know, I don't think it will work. And then it would work. Like I would call and say, hey, I'm Paul from I.T., man. We have a network problem. I need your password so I could test it here. Guy would just give it to me. And I'm like, holy crap, that works. So I was like, why did that work? I had no clue. Um, And I started buying all these books that you see back here, reading all these books on psychology, on persuasion, influence. Um, nonverbal communication, brain psychology, all this different stuff. And I would read them and I would have, I have all these highlighters and I'd be highlighting things and making notes about like, oh, Cialdini talks about these principles of influence. And then the next time I would do it, I would try something on purpose. And I'd be like, oh, that worked. Like the principle of authority. I'm going to try that. And I would write it down notes. And it took about 11 months and I developed a framework for social engineering. So I actually wrote like the world's first framework that came out about how I was using all of these psychological principles to influence people, to do things they shouldn't do. Um, and then the more I read on it, the more I realized, you know, there's a lot that could be done here from the good side too. So I put, uh, I put it out there. I put a, a website, social-engineer.org, and I put the framework online and uh, I started my podcast. That was in 2009, if you can believe that. Uh, About six months after the website went live, uh, Kevin Mitnick's publisher called me and asked me to write a book and said, you know, will you write a book on social engineering? And I'm like, no, I'm not an author. I'm just a greasy little hacker. Like, no. And she's like, come on, write a book. And I'm like, nah, click. So I tell the guy I'm working with, man, this crazy woman wants me to write a book. And he's like, "So when do you start? And I'm like, what are you talking about? No one wants to read anything I write. Like, I'm a nobody. And he's like, write the book, you moron, right? You know, do you see the website? Like everybody's hitting the website. So I'm like, okay. So I wrote my, that was my first book, came out in 2010. Uh, it's called uh, Social Engineering, The Art of Human Hacking. Do not read it. It's terrible, okay? It's an awful book, but but it, it 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 to give it some credit, it changed the world of social engineering. It was the only book that ever had come out of this time that defined what it was and taught people how to use it. So um, that started my career. That's how that's how I ended up where I am today because that book started. Uh, people started calling me, asking me to consult, teach, train. I got invited to the Pentagon to do a debrief on social engineering. I was teaching U.S. military. I, I taught a class for MI five and MI six in the UK. Like what the heck? Like what the heck? Right? I had all these crazy experiences, um, and it just started growing my business. You know, over the years, and now this is what I do every day. It's
0: so wild how far it's come from, like, Locks put a note down here. of You started your pod back in 2009. That's so crazy. That's so early, yeah. you
2: know? Yeah, early. Like, back in those days, most podcasts in our industry were a bunch of guys sitting around, smoking a cigar, drinking a whiskey, and talking about porn. And I'm like, that's not my thing. You know, I like whiskey, but the rest of it is not my thing. So I'm like, if I start a podcast, I said, I'm going to do something really crazy. I'm going to get people on my show that have nothing to do with security, And I'm going to ask them about their jobs. So my very first interview was a law enforcement agent who was an interrogator. And I got him on the show. And I'm like, tell me how you interrogate somebody. And we went through this whole thing. And I was like, this applies to social engineering, this and this. And I had like scientists on. I had a rock star on, a, um, a magician, a comedian. I would just went through and started having all these crazy people on that. And I would learn from them about their job. And then I would apply it to social engineering and the podcast became sh- super popular. You know, it was like, I, 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 I was doing something that was making me happy. And I was finding out that a lot of other people wanted the same thing, which was really cool. Right. So I didn't think of it that way. I just was like, I'm going to go do this because it's a free way for me to learn stuff. And then everyone else was like, I like that. I'm going to listen to that. So yeah, it's kind of grown. Now I have four. I do four podcasts a month. Oh, I love that. And and.
1: Who were the sort of first people interested in social engineering when you started to build that out and stuff like
2: what, what type of industries and what type of people were approaching you for your skill set? Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. So um, banking, uh, healthcare, pharmaceutical, and then government. Those would be the, I would say, those are the four top ones that started right away. And then it moved into manufacturing retail, especially after target got breached. All of a sudden we saw a huge spike in retail organizations wanted to know a lot more about this. And now we are looking at vishing, uh, voice phishing, as one of the main vectors that occur out there. So we're seeing anybody with a call center is interested in, in social engineering now. Is that stuff like deep fakes and AI and like, does that stuff
0: like freak you out thinking about where it goes now? About how people can even, like if they listen to your stuff, we always talk about... What you can learn from the dark arch. It's funny you mentioned like a magician. We've had a um, XEIA. I don't know if you've seen uh, Andrew Bustamante before. XEIA spy. Like for us on this part, it's always yeah. about like being curious people. How do we find out what's actually out there and how yeah. people are actually operating? And it it just this whole stuff blows your mind, does it freak you out knowing where oh, it could go now with like AI and these like voice phishing
2: and deep fakes and all that sort of stuff. AI scares the crap out of me. Right. So, I mean, think about this. It's uh there was just this case happened here in the States. Um, Microsoft released a program that with three seconds of audio, it can duplicate your voice in a whole conversation. So these guys grab this app. They, they download this video from this young girl, Instagram, make a voice out of her, get her mom's number spoof her phone number, call mom and say, we have your daughter. We're going to hurt her unless you give us money. And if you hang up the phone, we're going to kill her. And in the background is a girl that sounds just like her daughter saying, mommy, help me. Mommy, help me. Woman transfers $20,000. Who wouldn't I'm a parent like that would freak me out. If I thought it was my daughter being hurt. I mean, what, what money wouldn't you give? That is like horrific when you think, and that was all, it was all a deep fake. Girl was not in trouble at all. She was at school. No problems. It's like, how do you know? And how was that mom supposed to know that it was fake? A spoofed number? A voice that sounds like your kid? Like, how how do you prove?
0: Since you start, like, you go back to 2009, kicking off your pod until now, I think tech tech and the back of this stuff, you must have seen a lot of stuff change and develop and grow. And um, the way that you approach things and have to tackle these different uh, situations as they come up, has that been like... a? I'm not saying it's a, a good thing because there's bad shit going on in the world, but for you, like <laughs> learning and and being on the forefront yeah. of all those changes, can you go through maybe
2: how that's how it's different? Yeah, I, I and you know it is good in the sense of like like you like you two like I'm very curious, so I like to learn about everything I can learn about because I feel like that enhances my ability to help other people, right? It's kind of like. How do you ever going to defend from getting punched if you've never been in a fight before or if you've never taken a boxing class, right? So it's terrible to say, I need to learn how to fight. But if you've never known how to do a martial art or box, then you, the first time you get punched, it's going to suck. So, right. But a lot of people go and take a class and so you know how to defend yourself. So learning some of the darkness out there kind of helps us to be a little more proactive and defending against that. And as I look at the world, like if we go back 2009, fishing was everything. That's all it was. Like we didn't have smishing. We didn't have, you know, vishing was very light, mostly, mostly phishing, And then impersonation, like people actually coming on site and trying to steal stuff. Now COVID happens, right? So jump forward 15 years, you know, world pandemic, global pandemic occurs. Everyone, the good guys and the bad guys are all at home trying to figure out what to do with their computers. Vishing goes through the roof because now we have VoIP technology that is so cheap and so easy. You could spoof a number from anybody for free, just about. So that vector goes through the roof, and everyone's working from home. And think about it: when was the last time you actually used cash? We use credit cards, Venmo, PayPal for everything. You know, like we don't carrying cash is almost like what's that ancient stuff? You know, so everything's done digitally. It's it is the it, the the world is poised perfectly for the bad guy to commit cybercrime. So it's, you know, and that sounds so bleak. Like, I hate talking about it like this way because it sounds like gloom and doom. And, you know, the next thing you know is going to be like zombies coming out of the wall and we're all dead, you know, but like it's there is hope. But it is a time in the world where we have seen unprecedented um, attacks and the cyber front is the new war front. It really is crazy stuff. I'm even saying from my um. Like even for us
1: now, I think a lot of us are experiencing like banks in the bank thread or whatever in the same thing. So you just automatically think, you know. In the
0: same thread. Yeah. Through from the same numbers. Like that stuff blows you mind. And it's
1: happening all the time now. Like phone's just off the hook with all these random numbers and shit now. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I, I used to be able to count on one hand how many phone calls I got that were fraudulent. Now I don't even answer my phone. I'm just saying. I I, I let it go to voicemail. And then if it's legit, I'll call them back. If not my phone is no longer a phone it's just a, a receptacle for voicemail and email that's it right you
1: know 100% what about for some people out there how can they protect themselves what are some things that they can do
2: um, to protect themselves from these
1: type of attacks
2: okay so there's a couple of quick tips right for email here's the simplest one don't ever click a link in an email from someone that you don't know or that seems a little fishy if like if you get an email that says your amazon order is delayed open up your browser go to amazon.com and log in right it's that will say it might it might take you 5 seconds longer but it will save you the headache of giving away your credentials right if you do click a link and it says oh you need to install this program or do you want to allow this thing to do no the answer is always no right don't don't react with that for for phone calls if you do answer a call and someone's on the phone and they're saying that either you did something wrong and now you owe a fine or um, you know it's a government agency and you owe them money or it's your bank and they need some your login information, hang up the phone and you get the legitimate number. So if, you're, if you have a credit card, you pull out your wallet, you get your credit card. On the back of that card is your number for your bank. You call that number and you say, hey, this is Chris. Somebody just called me and said that there was some fraudulent charge. Is that real? If it's real, great. You've just saved yourself and you'll you'll fix the problem. If it's not real, then you didn't give the attacker any information. For SMS, I tell people just if you don't know the number, just don't interact with a link. You know, I just don't. And if you do, um, this is one of the bigger ones, because you see with with SMS, if they can get something installed on your phone. You know, and I I say something, I don't don't use iPhone because I'm not, I haven't taken the blue pill. But here's the thing. One thing's good about Apple is they fix stuff really fast. So like there are exploits for Apple products out there, but they fix them really fast. Right. So my thing is whether you have an Apple or an Android, don't jailbreak it. Don't sideload stuff. Right. That's the way to keep your cell phone clean. And then and then last one is impersonation. And mostly what we're seeing with that is online impersonation. Just be like I, this happens to me almost every day. Somebody will connect with me on LinkedIn. They ping me right away in the chat and they're like, hey, your profile looks great. I'd love to learn, talk to you, yada, yada. And within five minutes, they're like, hey, what's your WhatsApp number? Then it's like delete block. Like, yes, she's super hot in the picture. Yes, she wants to talk to me on WhatsApp. Oh, that's awesome. Don't fall for that. Okay, guys, just don't fall for it. Like, she's not super hot. She's probably some 450 pound guy, you know, with a greasy chin because he just got done eating a bucket of fried chicken. And he wants you to WhatsApp him so he can get your, your bank information or something personal about you. Just don't fall for that. If they move from LinkedIn to, and I'll say to them, no, no, we can chat right here on LinkedIn. It's perfect. Oh, I don't check the app much. Uh, Well, I don't check WhatsApp much. So if you want to talk to me, you can talk to me on LinkedIn. All of a sudden, they're ghosting me. Right. Of course, you you weren't interested in learning anything. So using some critical thinking can save a lot of people from these attacks. But, you know, sadly, they're getting more and more advanced all the time, too.
1: What about the, uh, I feel like you were mentioning uh, before, or maybe off air, about like, talking on the phone and stuff and like actually like convincing people to give you their information. That sort of skill seems crazy. Like it feels like it's very like a hands-on type of hacking. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're actually on the phone. It's you, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We do. So my company, we do about 2000 Vishing calls a month um, for our clients. So we'll call people and we'll try to get their passwords, their government ID numbers, date of birth, uh, information about their managers logins for their computers and things like that and a lot of times what we're doing is we're we're making believe we're an it. person or an hr person human resources um and uh and and we're using the the pretext or the acts that sound legitimate to the company so they want to trust us they want to talk to us right um and and our goal with that of course is never to like embarrass someone or tell them oh look how stupid you were our goal with that is always like hey we want to help educate these people so they don't fall victim when the real bad guys call right because we're not the we're just the fake bad guys so we're always looking for ways like why did you fall for that like we do we have a a, a lot of women that work here too so we do like gender studies like did a, if a woman calls you are you more susceptible to fall for this than if a man calls for you you know, do pretext, does pretext matter based on your gender time of day? Does that matter? Are you more susceptible at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day? We look at all that data so we can tell our clients, hey, you know, these are some of the things you need to be aware of so you can keep your people safe. We re- rewind back a bit for people who have now caught up
0: we're, we're into sort of the chat, but. Can we go into the basics of like what is social engineering? Yeah, yeah,
2: uh, yeah. Well, we should probably should have started there, right? <laughs> but I mean, that's okay. All good. We love that. And we yeah. get, excited, uh, I get excited. We're in. Right? We're in. We're yeah, pumped. me too. Yeah. Um, so I. So this is. I love I, this question is really good because if you type in social engineering online, a lot of times you get a definition of something like the malicious use of something something to make somebody do something. And I don't like that because I do believe social engineering is positive and negative, right? So I define it as any act that influences a person to take an action that may or may not be in their best interest. And I I, I use the broad definition because I look at this and say, let's say you two guys, let's say you're really close friends, right? You look like you're good buddies, you good mates. So if, if you wanted to convince Locke to stop smoking or doing something that was bad for his health, you can come in and be like, hey, moron, you need to stop doing this. You're going to die. That's one way. Or what if you were like, hey, I really need your help, man. I want to start getting working out because I feel like I'm getting unhealthy. Would you be my gym partner? Because I I need motivation. So if you would join me in the gym, like you would help keep me motivated. Now, what you're doing is you're making him want to help you. But in essence, you're helping him get more healthy in the meantime. Right. That's a form of social engineering. You're influencing him to take an action that you wanted, but you're making it his idea because he's helping you. So it's And you're not manipulating. He's not doing anything bad. You're not hurting him. You're actually helping his life and his health. But you're doing it in a way that he's going to feel better for having done it. So I look at that and you can use the same principle, right? That's a principle of liking and trust. And you can do that to get his password or something else that would be bad for him to give over, right? So when I look at the principles that the bad guys use, they're the same as the good guys. The difference is the intent. What's my intent? Is it to help you? Is it to hurt you?
1: Do you reckon people subconsciously just do do this type of behavior without even realizing
2: that they're doing this? I think that from young age we we learn how to do this because we realize that we need to influence our caregivers to keep giving us care, and as we get older, we learn that that we need to use these certain principles. And then, depending on how you were raised, um, you know, we we may use them more or less. And then something happens. We get to this age where we start to rely less on our emotional content and more on what we think we perceive in the world. And that's where all of this becomes a danger or a, a, we use it less, right? Like I, I constantly, and and I don't know how it is in Australia, but I talk about to a lot of young, like, let's say women in this country where uh, they have this like internal radar, they meet a guy and they're like, he just feels to me. And you're like, why, you know, did he do anything? Did he say anything? No, no, I just get a feeling. And somebody will say, ah, you're just being silly. He's a nice guy. Well, I say, well, what was the thing that made you feel icky? Now, maybe you can't identify it, but there's something inside of you. Our, our our limbic systems in our brain, our nonverbal centers in our brain are there to read body language, facial expressions, you know, the way we stand, our vocal inflection, and they make us feel a certain way. And if that emotion is icky or negative, you should listen to that. Now, it doesn't mean that guy's a bad person, like he's a murderer or a serial killer. It just means that maybe for you he he's not safe. Listen to that. But what we do is we get older. We convince ourselves that I'm just having a bad day or I'm tired. And we don't listen to those internal systems of our own. So then we kind of shut off this social engineering radar that we have. Right. And I think there's certain people like you look very outgoing. You sound like super excited. Like you're out there. Right. You probably could walk up to any stranger and talk to them. Well, people are sometimes are introverted, so they may not feel comfortable using these skills because they're so introverted, but people like you that are really outgoing out there, yeah, they can use them all the time. So I do think that there, there's a, not everyone does it, but I I think that they are aspects of communication that we use everyday life to get what we want out of life. And it's not always negative or manipulative. It's just the way we communicate.
0: In, in prepping for this, this convo, we, we were listening to some stuff around like gender biases and, and situations. Can you get into some of the differences between uh, approaching situations
2: from a male or female side? Yeah, sure. So this this is a really important topic, actually, because we have something like that we call the halo effect, right? Where if we if we view someone as sexually attractive, and I don't mean that in a in a sexual way, but the scientific attractiveness, like whatever it is that attracts you, right? So I, I have, might have a certain type of female that I find attractive, or even male. You might have the same. You you view that person, they automatically your brain says they're trustworthy. Well, why? Because you find them attractive. So they must be trustworthy because your brain is not going to say, I like this person. They're attractive, but no, they're bad. It doesn't work that way. So our brain says, no, they're trustworthy. That's called the halo effect. Uh, We also tend to, especially when it comes to women, to view them as less threatening, uh, especially men. We tend to view them as less threatening physically. So we kind of say, of course, they're fine. They're going to be Okay. And we don't view the things that they say as potentially being threatening to us. We think, well, we can handle it, right? No matter what it is. So that bias sometimes makes us vulnerable. Also, our brains do something where if we hear a female asking for help, whether we're male or female, we tend to ask, we tend to answer the request with how, how can I help? Whereas when a man asks for help, we tend to think, should I? Hmm, Not sure. Should I help? So it's not how. It should I, females, it's how, which means we're already answering the question in our brain of what am I going to do to help her, right? Where, and, and that bias, um, it's built into us for particular reasons, but it also is, it can create vulnerability, right? Which is why a lot of times, and I, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but when you get the phone calls from tech support, uh, it's a female that starts off on those calls, right? And then she has to transfer you to a manager to get credit card information or something right but that initial call when you pick up that phone you hear a female voice you're more likely to not hang up right away um uh, so it, it that's it it's uh, some of these biases create serious vulnerability for us what about building
0: trust can we get into a bit more about like the elements of trust what goes into building it and maybe like if you go back a bit before you you mentioned like persuasion and getting people to do take action yeah. can we can we get, get deeper into bit of that
2: yeah. So, uh, trust is, is based on a molecule in our brain called oxytocin. Um, and there's a wonderful book called the moral molecule written by a guy named Dr. Paul Zak, who he, uh, he talks a lot about this molecule, this, this chemical in our brain called oxytocin. And he found something in his research that I, I personally found fascinating is that we release more oxytocin when you feel trusted, not when you feel trust. So let's imagine I said to you guys, Hey, I'm going to I'm going to say something on this podcast I haven't said on any podcast ever before. And then I tell you something and later on you prove, wow, he was real. Like he actually never announced that anywhere. Like now you say, wow, I feel super special. Like Chris announced something brand new on our show. Now your brain releases oxytocin and it's about me. So now an hour later, you're flipping through LinkedIn and you see my profile. Guess what happens? Your brain releases more oxytocin because you see my picture and you're like, oh, that's the guy that trusted me. I like that guy. Now, as long as I don't do anything to be bad or screw you guys over, that relationship will continue for as long as we know each other, where you'll think about me, you'll see me, you'll talk about me, bam, oxytocin gets released. Now, let's think about why that plays a factor. When we trust someone, we're more willing to take what they say is truthful, we're more willing to take risks with them, we're more willing to give them uh, physical products or money we're more willing to do things with someone that we feel that we have that trust bond relationship with than when we don't. Um, Dr. Zach did a fascinating study where he, um, he gave random strangers money and he would ask like, hey, do you want to uh, keep this money for yourself or do you want to gift some of this money to this other random person? And what he found is that if one person started the thread of randomly gifting money, that it would become cyclical. You ever hear those stories like where somebody's sitting in the Starbucks line and they say, hey, I want to pay for the guy's drink behind me, right? So they give him like a 20 and say, I'd pay. And now that guy comes up, he's like, what? He paid, oh, I want to pay for the guy behind me, right? And I just was reading this story. It was just yesterday or the day before of this happened. It was some news thing and this happened. like, And it was 20 times that someone paid to the point where the final girl, she actually started crying. She said, I don't have enough money to pay for the people behind me. You know, she goes, I feel so bad. And the lady was like, no, no, this has been the most amazing experience. Like we just had 20 people, right? But it's because that good action from someone you don't even know, wow, you trusted me enough to pay for my food and drink. I got to do that for someone else now, right? And it, it's it's the way our brains work with these kind of chemicals. They make us pliable to those kind of actions. And that is a positive example of how that trust and oxytocin work to create like a wave of good things happening. Sadly, con men use this all the time, right? Uh, One of the most famous con men, um, uh, Victor Lustwig, I think was his name. uh, He had sold the Eiffel Tower like four times. And what he did is he would be in a bar, in a pub, and he'd be talking really loud to a friend and say, did you hear the news about the metal sale? It's going to be huge. The market's going to be huge. Anyone who's in on this is going to make millions. Some rich guy would overhear, right? The mark. He's over here, and he would hear it. So then he they get up, pay for their drinks, and walk out. And the rich guy went up and go, "Hey, what do you? I heard you talking. What's that all about?" It's like, I don't don't know if I can tell you. Like, can I trust you? This is serious information. The guy's like, "Yeah, you could trust me. Like, only if you only if I can really trust you. Cannot talk about this." And the guy's like, "Okay, come here, come here. I'm gonna tell you a secret. The Eiffel Tower is getting dismantled. It's gonna be worth millions in metal, and I happen to have the contract. Now I'm just getting a few people in early." But if you want in, like the metal's going to go through the roof. We're going to sell it all to the scrapyard. Guy's like, how much do you need? He was closing tens of thousands of dollars in sales for something that was never going to happen, ever. Because he tr- he made those people feel like they were trusted. He was one of the only con men in the history to con Al Capone and live. Never got killed. Con Al, Cap- Al-, Al Capone. And then when Al was like, I need my money back. And he was like, uh... He went and got money from conning someone else, paid Al back. And I was like, I won't kill you now. <laughs> like this guy was an amazing con man. Yeah. Oh, and he used God. all that, these principles, right? So
1: It's blown my mind, Chris. It's blown my mind. Yeah. I want to talk about leadership and how that ties into how do you be a good manager and how do you use these skills to actually, like you were saying, influence for good yeah. and make people feel appreciated and seen. Because I know in startup land, like it scales so quickly and people grow and there's all that sort of stuff. And you make, want to make sure you're doing a good job. How, how would you recommend people use these skills
2: for, especially people in startups? Yeah, I love I love this question. So in my company and in the practice, we use something called disk communication profiling. And it's a very quick method to profile someone's um, 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 preferred method of hearing and, and uh, receiving and delivering communication, right? So for me, I'm a DI. So that means I'm very direct, but I also like like high energy type of communication, as you can probably tell, but I'm also really direct, right? So imagine if you were my manager and I needed to improve something, Um, pulling me into a meeting and telling me that I'm awesome and giving me all this flowery compliments is going to tick me off. Um, But insulting me also is going to tick me off. But if you pulled me into a meeting and you said, okay, Chris, listen, I need to talk to you about last month's um, achievements uh, we have a couple problems and I really want to see you improve because we love having you here as an employee. So here's a few things I need you to work on for next month. Boy, I would love that kind of communication. You were, you, you complimented me a little bit, but then you gave me direct feedback on how to improve, right? So what we do here to be good leaders in our company is we profile every employee and we tell them and they're going to do it. They're going to help us. They're going to help us profile them. And we keep all those profiles on the intranet for everybody, including me. Anyone can go read them. So now if I need to go have a meeting with one of my employees to help them improve, we read their profile before we go into that meeting. And I know exactly how they like to be communicated with. So I will adjust my communication. I don't expect them to adjust to me. I'll adjust my communication to match theirs. So maybe they're a high eye and they need a lot of flowery compliments. They need a lot of positive feedback, high energy. Great, I'm going to do that. That way, when I come into that meeting, I'm going to get the best bang for my buck in getting them motivated to make change. Uh, whereas I'll give you an example. Ryan, my my COO, uh, he's a very high C, a very conscientious. So they, they like lists, they like details, they like facts and figures. So if I need to talk to Ryan about something, I can't come in and be like, dude, you're amazing. Like you're one of the best employees I have. I just need you to do this one thing. He's going to be like, shut up, right? It just irritates him. Where if I come in and I go, okay, listen, man, Girl, look, over the last six months, I've noticed like this trend. And here's some facts. I looked up the data. I was checking these threads and this is the thing. And I just want to show it to you because I need to understand why this is happening. He would appreciate that so much. And he'd be like, oh, I can actually explain this. Like, let me let me talk to you about this and what was happening here. And I'm going to get compliance because I'm talking to him in the way that he likes to be talked to. Uh, when you approach things like that, even if people don't realize what's happening, they feel so much appreciation because you're—it's like a gift. Talking to someone the way they want to be talked to is like giving them a gift because they connect with you. They feel appreciated. They feel uh, that rapport and that trust with you, and it just—it just makes them feel really good about having you as their manager. What about in social settings where you haven't
0: had the opportunity to run this, like run these tests and understand how people like? What are some of the cues that you look for? that helps you identify how I'm sure that that's one of the things that you're very good yeah. at is that you'd be able to pick up some different things. You're know, right. I need to talk to this person like
2: this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- that's, that's good. So uh, one of the things that when you get skilled at it, and of course this, this will take some time, but one of the things with disc, uh, that you can do is you can profile someone within seconds and get at least close enough. Right. So imagine, um, so let me, let me give you the four quadrants. You have D, which is a dominant personality, right? You have I, which is an influencer type of personality. You have S, which is a steady, supportive type of person. And you have a C, which is a conscientious, data-driven person. Okay, now let me paint this scene for you. You walk into a, a, a business mixer, and you're there to make some new connections, maybe make some new friends, whatever. And you see a small group of people, three people standing over here to your left, and uh, there's one guy who seems to be standing in the middle. Uh, everyone is facing him. There's one person, uh, a woman who is standing really close to him. And um, she's like saying, hey, do you want a drink? Do you want something? You know. And there's one guy over here who seems to be making jokes and everyone's laughing at him. Okay, now, just in that simple scene, tell me who's the D, who's the S, and who's the I?
1: Oh, you go oh. Uh, the one, the one. I've never, I wasn't even thinking you'd ask us. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd no, say, I know. You've you've stumped uh-huh. me here. Uh huh. Yep. The influence is the one where they're all sort of facing, facing him. Okay. Um, the one making all the laughs. I'd say is the fluffy duck. I feel like,
0: or is it the dominant? One? Yeah, I don't
1: know. I don't know. I've got no
0: idea. Okay. And then what about the woman getting the drinks? Can I? Uh, can I uh, conscientious? Is that is trying to understand? Pull yeah. out. Yeah. So.
2: You know, I kind of put you guys on the spot, so don't worry. That's why there's no wrong answers. But think about this: the, the failed the training. <laughs> no, no, no. But here's the thing: you, you didn't fail the training because I wasn't a good enough teacher. I didn't give you enough. I didn't give you enough information before. So let's let's go let's go through it again. The a D would be the dominant right. So that would be someone who would probably take control, and I would be the influencer. So someone who likes the spotlight someone who likes to kind of have people looking at them and be the center of attention. And S is a supportive person, someone who wants to kind of support the group or support other people. They find joy from that kind of, 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 um, of communication. So thinking about that, I would see if I saw that group, I would say the guy who's standing over here, making jokes that everyone's laughing at, he's the I. He's the guy who doesn't mind the spotlight. The guy who's in the middle, who's kind of seemingly taking control. He's the D. Right, he's the dominant one, and the woman who's like, "Hey, can I get you a drink?" She's the supporter, she's the S, right? So now, if I want, if I think that that group, they all work for the same company, I want that company to be my client. Who do you think I need to interact with in order to at least get a chance at giving a sales pitch to them?
1: I think the I. Yeah.
2: Okay, so either the I or
0: the the um, the target is obviously the person who's the dominant one but
2: do you go through the support? so it's either one right so either the i because the i can influence the group to like me and let me in or the d if i want to go directly to the 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 main source the guy who's probably the boss and the leader right but either one of those the s not so much because the s is going to always say well i don't know like you're gonna have to talk to him he's the boss Right. So no no power there. Right. So you want to go to the D or the I. So now quickly, you know, in a few seconds, you're profiling that group and you know who you need to talk to. Now, if I'm going to go talk to a D, you better keep your chest up, your, you know, your chin up, your chest out. You better you better approach not aggressive, very non aggressively. But you better not, you know, mingle too much and have too many words Be like, hey, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. Hey, don't you work for so and so ABC company? I heard a lot of great things about you guys. I'd love to talk to you sometime. You want to exchange business cards? Man, that kind of an approach is probably going to get you that that meeting right there. And you did that with profiling within two or three seconds. What about like
1: listening to people? Is that is that part of the thing where they're t- they're giving you information and you're just picking up and then in your head you're processing around? Maybe I need to lean down this path because they've mentioned that. So for us, like a podcast, if we have a guest mentioned something and they've obviously brought it up for a reason. Let's just dig into that. You know what I mean? Like listening and then sort of process it in, in your head and then
2: figuring out a game plan in conversation. Like, is that all happening at the same time? A hundred percent. So you think about this, when you listen to people, a lot of times they'll tell you like one, how they like to communicate, right? They'll tell you that they'll, they'll kind of leak that information, like how they like to communicate because imagine that I. They're going to use a lot of um, big flowery words, jokes. They're going to put the spotlight on themselves. The D is going to be very direct. The S is going to use language that's very supportive of other people, about the team, you know, kumbaya, let's all hold hands. And the C is going to have a lot of data and facts, right? So when you think about that, you listen to people, you're going to hear what kind of communicator they are. You're also going to hear, like, I, I love just going to someone's social media. Reading their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter page, what is it that they like? What is it that they think about? How do they present themselves? That will tell you a lot about a person and how they want to be communicated with. And that can help you, you know, win so many conversations because you're if you know how someone likes to be communicated with and you do that, again, you just make them feel so validated.
1: Oh, I love that. I always used to think like like kiss their soul, like speak to actually what <laughs> they're into. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's what people want they're putting themselves out there to feel that connection piece aren't they because like yeah. I feel like doing the podcast in the way we are it makes it easy for people to communicate to us we're like making it super easy for them to say you can swear you can come to us in <laughs> and however manner. like we prefer we'll you put to your just... walls
0: down you can relax around yeah. us. whether it's uh, yeah. we're, uh, subconsciously we're trying to help you build trust that's how, yeah. our approach has been not from a yeah. manipulative point of view but for ours like we want to have authentic conversations I think if you can find ways to bring the walls down or make people feel
2: that I'm way with you.
0: you're going to get more organic and authentic content
2: I, and i think a lot of times that the confusion that people have is they think if you're using these tactics that you're being manipulative but it's not you know think about this i i talk to i i, I do a lot of talking with this using these skills as a parent right so it's so a parent imagine this i don't know either of you guys have kids
0: Yeah, I I got to do it. Okay. So,
2: so, okay. So I do too, right? So imagine this. My daughter breaks the house rules. She does something, you know, not terrible, not super egregious. The house isn't burning down, but she's supposed to be home at 10 o'clock and it's now 1130. She never called, didn't answer her phone and she walks in. Now I have a choice. I can be angry dad or I can be concerned dad. These are two pretexts, right? Two different acts that I can put on. Angry dad, concerned dad. So which one is it? So let's say I want to do angry dad. Where do you think that's going to go? I'm going to be like, hey, you're supposed to be home an hour and a half ago and answering your phone. You're grounded, right? Now I got nothing. Well, concerned dad, I say, hey, honey, I was really worried. Like I tried calling you. I tried texting you. You didn't answer. Are are you okay? Like what? Like is everything good? And now I may get more. And maybe she rolls her eyes. She's like, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, let it go. Next morning, you know, hey, I want to talk to you because I really was worried and I need to know what happened. Because, you know, an hour and a half, you know, that's really bad. Like for you to come home an hour and a half late, not even tell me what's going on. Can you just let me know, was everything okay? Did someone do something to you or you hurt? Now that concerned dad shows her, hey, I'm not mad. I'm actually really worried. And I want to know what was going on, right? Now I'm telling you like this happened in a real life story. I will get more play out of that pretext and get the answers I want than being angry dad. Now here's the key. She finally opens up. She tells me well, you know, I was at the party and uh, you know, I, I, a bunch of people there, I know you don't like, so I didn't want to call you or answer your text because I know you get mad because they were there and I'm like, okay, well, I can understand that. You know, now what's important is I don't change to angry dad, right? Because now that I got her trust, if I change to angry dad, she's like, oh, you were just playing me. So I got to stay calm dad. Right? Like, well, I'm real. I'm really glad you thought about that. But like, did anyone like, why, why, if you don't want to tell me who, that's fine. But can you tell me like, why don't I like those people? Well, you know, they're, they they may they may drink and they're not supposed to or bring other things. I'm like, okay, did you do anything? Like, did you not want to call me because maybe you were drunk or you took something you shouldn't have? She goes, no, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I just know that you'd be mad because they were there. I'm like, okay, so you were safe? You were fine? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, next time, here's all I ask you. Just kind of tell me that you're okay because I was up so late worried. And if you do ever do something like drink or take something that you know you shouldn't have, please don't drive. Call me. I will come and get you. I'll send an Uber. I'll do something. So you're safe because your safety is way more important. And then after all of that, I go, now, you know, you did break the house curfew. So like, we can't just let that go. Right. Like we have to do something. What do you think is a fair punishment? And then she comes back with like, I don't know, probably ground me for a month. And I'm like, Ooh, that's extreme a month from one time. I'm like, ooh, man! I'm glad you're not the dad here. And then she's like, "What?" And I'm like, "I, don't, I was thinking just next weekend, you know, like maybe you just got to stay in and we got to hang out and watch a movie together or something." And she's like, "Okay, all right now, I got everything I want. I got the answers, right?" She helped me pick the punishment, and she picked one way worse. I mean, she was talking capital punishment, and I'm like, "Just you know, one time is all I needed. I mean, that's it. You know, you didn't break any, you didn't do anything stupid." And now I have a relationship that that's the expectation, and not yelling and screaming. All of that is social engineering, but I'm not doing it to manipulate her, right? I'm doing it because I just want to be a better dad.
0: Chris, my daughter's um coming up on, on two, and I feel like she's already got me around <laughs> her little finger. Oh, so I can yeah. imagine that um your daughter, after being around you, has got a, a few tactics of her own that she knows how to play dad. Have you have you ever experienced anything backwards? You like picking up your own tricks where it's oh, been used. It's to awful. Answer.
2: It's awful. So, so first of all, my, my daughter was personally trained by Dr. Paul Ekman. So she's a nonverbal expert, right? So she, 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 she knows how to use all the facial expressions and body language. She, um she is, uh, she is very good at pickpocketing and sleight of hand, which is also terrible. And she sat through my classes and helped me do work. So she understands how to use these tactics, right? It's, it's truly awful. Um she definitely knows how to use this and a daddy daughter thing man it's just it like for, it's a, already impossible to say no right it, and now that she knows all this it's even worse it's just worse <laughs> it's all the time it happens
1: tell us about um body language and the nonverbal cues so i've yeah. i've seen in some of your videos um you talking about like directing your hips away from people if you if you're sort of approach someone you mentioned uh another story around like bumping into someone with the hulk mask or whatever and sort of just going through that and just explaining that you you know shifted your hips and done all that sort of stuff what other non-verbal cues are there that to look out for
2: when 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 covid first started i don't even know if i still have it (laughs) i have to see uh i should i should keep it here for this story but when covid first started i thought it'd be funny to have a funny face mask so i ordered this face mask that had the hulk jaw on it but he's you know, gritting and really angry. And I didn't think about like how that was other people would be viewing me, you know, coming at me and I have a hat on and I have this mask. So you can't see any of my face and the mat and the face is angry. So I, you know, I'm walking in the grocery store and I'm looking at my phone at my list that, you know, my wife sent me and I round the corner and I just almost barrel into this tiny little woman. She must've been like, like a meter and a half, and that's it. You know, like she she's really small, and I'm like over two meters, right? So I like almost barrel into her and crush her. I and, am. i over two meters tall. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm six foot three, so that's two what like you know two point one meters maybe i like that that's all that's tall. you're talking to yeah. a five foot four nothing <laughs> oh man that's my wife's height. so <laughs> <laughs> it's not true, it's
0: not true. Yeah. anyway sorry continue i didn't
2: mean to jump in. no that's okay that's okay but just so you get the size difference right and right away like she reels back and her eyes open wide and this is fear right so i can't see her face because she's wearing a mask too but i could see the eyes and i realized that like not only did i almost barrel over her but now she's looking at this angry face and i'm this big guy I'm in a black hoodie and it's like wow and it just it hit me all at once like holy crap i am this horribly aggressive person so i looked at her and i went i am so sorry i'm like a bull in a china shop and then i did this thing where i just turned my hips away I'm like kind of giving her the leeway and that's something that uh, guys we often don't do Next time you're walking through an airport, take notice of how you walk. People move out of our way for some reason when you're a big guy. I started to notice that, especially women will move out of your way. Trying to say, "Why do they do that?" Like, and it's like we we walk in this way that's like almost like this is my space. Move, you know? And I started being more observant of that, and I just stood to the side and I'm like, "I'm so sorry." And I kind of held my hands up like this and 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 I held one hand up to kind of block the the mask, you know? Like I'm so sorry. And she's like, "Thank you." thank you. And she was like, it's okay. She goes, you just weren't paying attention. And she walked by and that was it. No, no, we didn't become friends. We're not hanging out later, you know, whatever. But it was just enough that I didn't leave her with this interaction of this giant guy who almost crushed her, who had an angry face. To me, body language is so important because we express our, um, our true emotions and our feelings on our face and our body. And we try to hide them. We try to all like make believe that we're doing really great or that we want our, our, you know, persona out there to be a certain way. So we were like, Hey, you know, everything's good, but our true emotions are shown on our face and in our body. So when, if, when we learn to read that uh, it's never good to call people out, you wouldn't want to do that. But when you learn to read that, you're able to now communicate with someone on a much higher level. You know, you're able to to see that maybe they're not feeling as good as they're portraying or that they're feeling sad or angry or, you know, afraid. And that can make your interactions and your reaction to them different, which could change the way that you actually treat them and you communicate with them, which could be really powerful.
1: Oh, I love that. Sometimes when we're doing the pod, if if Rob's like checking his phone or I've got a thought or something (laughs) like that, I just go on the opposite, I just stop thinking about what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden I just go blank. That happens to me all the time, even when we have uh-huh. sometimes guests on. I think stuff. it's called
0: short-term memory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, we'd love to get into some of the, some of the other stuff you're doing with the Inno- Innocent Lives Foundation. I feel like this is such a powerful yeah. work that you're doing and um, we'd love to get into where it started and also maybe a bit of back context for those
2: listening, what it's all about. Sure. So uh, so I'll give you the story and that will help us see what it's about. So uh, in my, my work that we've talked about already, I had a job for an organization and uh, part of that was we were infiltrating their network and then uh, analyzing anything we can find on the network. Uh, and I found a guy who was um, trading videos that he was making of himself molesting kids. Um, and he was trading them with other people on the internet at his work machine. Uh, and it, and at that time, it was the first time I ever came across anything like that. It was like, of course, really disturbing. And, um, and I always thought like, isn't this a third world problem? This doesn't happen here in America. Right and and it was like almost like a what the heck is happening and my whole world was kind of shaken, but I realized this was illegal content and I had to get a hold of law enforcement. So spoke to my point of contact. We contacted a, a federal uh, law enforcement. Uh, they helped set up a sting operation. Got that guy and he's in prison. And at first time in my life, I felt like, whoa, I have a skill set that just saved kids. Like I never thought about that. Like that was crazy. I'm like. I'm just a hacker guy. I don't I do, don't, I'm not a, not a cop. I'm not law enforcement. I'm not a superhero. Right. But it felt empowering. And I was telling this story to a group of students. I was teaching a class and I was telling the story. And, uh, one of the guys came up and he said, I, I would, I would love to help you. If you want to do that again, if you want to look for people, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And then, uh, another student came up in another class and he said, I volunteer with an organization that helps um, find groups that bring children into America for sex trafficking. And I'm like, that happens here? They're like, yeah, from China and from Thailand. They bring in kids um, to sell them. And I'm like, I would love to help stop that. So I started volunteering for this group. We're doing lots of research and we're finding people and I'm using all my social engineering skills, calling and doing all these things. And it felt so empowering. Now, that group kind of um, went different directions, but I, I fell in love with that kind of volunteer work. So I went to my lawyer and I said, what's the legalities of me starting an organization that hunts predators? Right. We're not saving kids. I mean, we are saving kids, but we're not like going and finding the abused kids. We're hunting the guys who are creating the bad content. And he outlined all these things I had to, to figure out. So uh, it was um, six years ago this September. I, I formed the ILF um, with the mission of helping law enforcement identify anonymous online child predators and bring them to justice. So the goal was not to be a vigilante group, right? So we're not one of those groups that go out there and make believe we're a 13-year-old girl on the internet. Uh, we don't chat guys up and, and get them to want to trade pictures. We actually find people who have already traded content or made content and or trafficking children, and we find out where they are in the world. And then we get a hold of an appropriate law enforcement agent, and we hand those leads off to them, and they go and make an arrest.
0: It'd be hard not to touch on it. I feel like the biggest story in the world is the Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, child trafficking, all these really important people and powerful, influential people. embroiled in this. Like People are going to his island. Things are happening. We're not allowed, like, the aren't allowed to know different things. We'd love to get your thoughts on, like, what do you actually think? Is happening? Are they people in, in positions of power? And how do you feel like if oh. we're the stuff of, if we rewind a bit, all the stuff we've talked about social engineering, about building individual trust, and all that sort of stuff. For us, the way we think of that is like in a group perspective of why would groups of people now trust these people if we can if there's demonstration and data
2: and, out, and all this stuff out out there of people doing really really terrible things. Yeah. Um. So t- t- I can go. I'll go backwards in your questions. Um. T- t- the reason why people still trust is because we have this humans have this uh, innate desire to believe everyone is as good as I am until you prove you're not right imagine if I came in this podcast and I thought well I meet a lot of pedophiles and they look like these two guys you're probably pedophiles that'd be horrible wouldn't it right I mean because I mean look the average pedophile is a, is a white male right uh, so I mean like like it would be terrible to just assume that so what we do is we assume no these are good guys. Until you prove that you're not. Right. And that's that that's built into us because otherwise, can you imagine the world if we were not that way? It would just be horrible. We would we would have be it would be terrible, right? To 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 be any other way. So that's that's the last question. Now the 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 thing is, sadly, um what I have found over the six years of running this organization in affluent countries, Western countries, you know, America, UK, Australia, Germany, Sweden. Um, sex trafficking is a huge business, billions of dollars and, um, making videos of sexual imagery of children is billions of dollars a year. It actually funds the cartel. It funds, uh, mafia groups. It's, um, it's unbelievable how much money is made off of, of sexualizing children. Um, and it's not, yes, the third world countries are supply chain for a lot of this, but, uh, one statistic I read is that over 50% of the world's child pornography is made in America over 50% because we have so much freedom here. You know, in some countries you get caught with that stuff. It's like death penalty here. Yeah. You get five years, 10 years, you know, maybe some judge gives some guy like a really big sentence, but you, you're probably not, you're not getting the death penalty. So the freedoms that we enjoy, normal people enjoy are also used by the bad guys to do really good Garbage things. Um, so it, it is a big problem, and it's a big problem uh, all over the world. It's a big problem, though, in, in, in Western Westernized societies. Are the
0: the cases that you're solving when you you mentioned over six hundred now over six hundred? If that's right, that you've, you've worked on. Uh, we're not... we're
2: oh, oh, close to five hundred. We've worked about seven hundred ninety-seven, but five hundred have went to law enforcement. Uh, unreal, that's, a, that's an unreal uh, number. Are, they, are there any common
0: trends around the type of people you mentioned before, like obviously, but are they uh, people making content like the mafia or the cartel for just like Joe Blow who live in suburbia that just do things? Is there anything you can tell or any insights into what's the common sadly, stuff? no. Just, everyone's a creeper and it's just, <laughs> just percentage <laughs> yeah. numbers.
2: Yeah. yeah, sadly no. Like, you know, there used to be a thing where I could tell you, yeah, like predominantly white guy. Well, not the case anymore. That's not the case. People of every color, every race, all over the globe. Um, you know some of the things that have occurred in some countries, and and including here in some states in America, and and I know there's some uh, states in Australia and and uh, some in and uh, European countries. They've lowered the age that girls could work at strip clubs. So you think, and I'm not blaming this, as it's still disgusting. But think about this: they they take a girl. And there's a state here in the U S where a 16 year old girl can dance at a club. So now you're there watching a 16 year old girl naked. You sexualize her. What's the difference between 16 and 15 and 14, right? It, 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 it gets to a point where the age stops to matter. Right. And, and the way our brains work, and um, this is uh, some science behind this, and it's a pretty, you know, Horrible topic. But the way our brains work with pornography is uh, pornography releases um, dopamine in our brain, but it's short lived. So if you view the same image twice, it will not give you the same effect, which is why people seek out different pornography every time, not the same, because the same image our brains go, that's boring. I already saw that. Where it's different than with your, you know, your wives or girlfriends that you you can uh, you can be with the same person for 30 years and you're still like, hey, I'm still happy because that's human to human. But for some reason, imagery, new imagery, our brains need new imagery to release uh, similar chemicals. So when someone gets addicted to pornography, especially that of children or young, young girls or boys, um, then they constantly need new images, which means they're searching out things that will get that dopamine going which means they're going to eventually go 15, 14, 13, 12, nine, and it just gets, it It just gets worse and worse and people become addicted. And then sadly, uh, some of the science has proven, not, not everybody, this is not, not everybody does this, but there are certain types of people who will then um get into violent pornography or other things like that because of, of that, that need for that desire to be filled. Um So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a dark topic. But sadly, it's the the supply is so big out there that that becomes the problem is that we're feeding the desires of people and it's coming in by the tens of thousands because the supply is never ending. Uh, that's, that's sort of it's so
0: crazy. It's probably a good segue a question we ask. Well, I guess is a bit of a mental health question. So mm. what do you turn to when you're looking
2: to get some energy back in your life? So um about uh how long we've been out of the pandemic? Three years ago, I went on a health journey. I was um I was severely overweight. Uh let me see, let me let me do the math so I can tell you in kilograms. Um Look, I need to go on a severe health journey. Yeah, you're making me I was no, no. on the
1: scales this morning. I was like, ooh, ew, no, no, I this get is bad.
2: This is bad. I was 159 kilograms. Okay. So I was big six three, and, two. and six, three. So I was yeah. a big guy and, yeah. and it wasn't muscle. Right. And I was just feeling lethargic and out of shape and then pandemic hit. Right. And now all of a sudden any movement I had, which was traveling now stopped. And it was just, I realized at some moment, like I'm going to die. I'm not even 50 years old and I'm going to die of a heart attack. Like I got to do something. So I uh, hired a trainer, um, Started working out. Slowly built my gym over the next year or so out here in my house, and uh, and I it became to I fell in love with working out. Fell in love with it, right? And um, so to answer your question, that's that's my space. You know, like between working a lot and having a family and running a nonprofit, when I go out to the gym for that hour and a half, three times a week, that's like my time i'm with nobody i got headphones in i got music going i don't have to think i don't have to work i don't have to answer emails so that's my mental health time to do that um what's on the playlist when you're when you're banging some iron and clanking the metal (laughs) so my favorite band on earth is the band called clutch um they're they're a maryland-based rock and roll band love those guys i've been listening to them forever uh but lately i gotta tell you i've been listening to some heavy stuff like white chapel um you know i don't know if you heard. No, i'm trying before. to is that
1: like is that like death metal type of stuff or is that yeah like, not death yeah.
2: it's more like uh it's just very heavy but i wouldn't say death metal but that and lorna shore i listen yeah. to a lot of them you know just really really heavy stuff like just kind of get that aggression out there go hit the heavy bag and lift some weights and it's just been great you know kind of thing
1: I, I love that i never really i used to love all that sort of stuff before footy and that like listen to the big hard beats and then i'd find like the ambient type of music the stuff that feels like the background music to Mm -hmm. your life thats which i'm obsessed with now because it just sort of makes you think about how you see or for me anyway it just feels like a background if i'm like zooming out and seeing i'm like oh that's crazy i don't know if you dig all that
2: type of stuff as well oh i i look so i look everything but country music i can handle right so yeah yeah i so so like i mean listen i I, like one of my favorite opera singers is, is andrea bocelli and I took my wife to go see his. I, I love that. I love him. Like I sit there and I could just cry. Listen to that guy. He's amazing. He's like an unbelievable voice. Right. And my my daughter, she likes some poppy kind of music. I listen to that stuff with her. Um, she, I, I, uh, who was it? Florence on the Machine. I took her to go see that show. Right. Great. Amazing woman. Right. Uh, my wife loves Shakira. We went and saw her. Right. So like I love all music except for country you know. The um, hips don't lie. Shakira, the hips don't lie. Huh? <laughs> I mean, well, she's Chris. an amazing artist, by the way. She plays the guitar, the drums, the piano. She dances and sings. That woman is like, I, I've never seen someone so talented. It's ridiculous.
1: It's always better when you go see someone live too and you hear the music and you're like, oh, that's whatever. And then you know that they play every instrument. It's like re- a yeah. like bonus surprise, like the respect level just goes up yeah. another notch, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, Chris, hey, you've blown our minds. I'm sure the people listening at home, you've blown their minds too. So thank you so much for spending some time with us. I know it's late over there. So- Uh, Thanks again for jumping on the Funny Business Pod. Thank you. This was a great conversation. Uh, I like Chris's advice where he was trying to um, position how do we get you healthier. You know, how was, does
1: he know I smoke? <laughs> <laughs> he looked at my crows feet. And he's like, bro, this is like about thirty, but he looks about fifty. Is he? Is
0: he? <laughs> is he okay? He yeah, needs. To, yeah.
1: he, he gave you a bit of a warning. Yeah, drink some water, bro. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Nah, hey, I would love to stay in touch to just know that you're
0: alive. Oh, uh, just seriously, this is the type of content that just makes my mind tick, and it, it it's real world stuff. You know, I feel like we've we had Andrew Bustamante on the CIA Spy. We had he mentioned that, talking about. Um, speaking with magicians on his pod. We recently had a magician on like, if you like funny business, I think what we're trying to do is give you creative angles to understand the world around you and what's going on, not just in the business landscape. And we're doing our best to pump out these episodes to give you different perspectives. So I uh-huh. hope you enjoyed plenty more content coming your way. And thanks for tuning in. See you later. Bye.